The new All Blacks coach, Scott Robertson, has his feet under the desk. As they say, Ian Foster has gone. And leaving his role also is Gilbert Anoka, the former New Zealand volleyball rep who has worked as a mental skills coach since the 1990s with top sports teams, the Silver Ferns, Black Caps and Crusaders as well. But Gilbert will be best remembered for his 23 years with the All Blacks as leadership manager, helping them win back-to-back Rugby World Cups, 18 Bledisloes, three Grand Slams, not to mention Tri-Nations and Rugby Championships. And during this period, there was a Laureus Award as well given to the best team in the world. Gilbert Anoka has also been general manager for New Zealand's biggest real estate firm, Harcourts, and he's been a keynote speaker across the globe at more than 500 events. He talks about leadership, performing under pressure, and building cultures. And to do all this, he overcame a difficult childhood with time spent in an, orphan, in an orphanage. He has practiced what he preaches. Gilbert, Morena. Morena, Jim. I know you're a calm man but how calm were you after we lost the rugby world cup final well interesting word calm um very difficult to be calm in moments like that i guess uh, to be honest it was sort of like a furnace inside um you know phrases kept coming like oh so close if only why didn't he do this or whatever but what i've learned over the years you you have moments when you're not calm on the inside, but the actions need to be composed on the outside. And so you have to be in full control. Um, I had to be composed for the team in that moment, and I was. I'm sure you were. It must be hard, though, when everything you've instilled into a team before such a big occasion can be undone by moments, you know, like the referee and the TMO going way back to deny a try. It really is in the lap of the gods as well, isn't it? And when you get a game like this, you understand that not all moments in time are equal and um, some have greater consequences. So while we know it shouldn't come down to the ref or the TMO, um, that, that, you know, you, at times they actually do that and... Um, they have their moments, just like the players, but sometimes mistakes can be blunders, and there are a couple of big ones in that game. I still feel, though, that while high-performance sport isn't fair, um, you know, we didn't lose that game because of those errors. You know, we had opportunities to still um, get away with the victory, which we didn't take in the moment. It seems to happen, and that's a great attitude, it seems to have happened to the All Blacks a bit, in the World Cup, though, I mean, like in the t- 2007 quarterfinal against the French and the forward pass that the same ref never saw, you were instrumental in rebuilding the ABs mentally after that. And I can't help thinking that it should have been that your swan song game had them bringing the trophy home. It wasn't, it was not a boys' own annual outcome. So you can live happily enough with that. What do you take most pride from looking back? the bonds forged uh, with both players and management, the frontiers forged, you know, the All Blacks embrace new horizons first, uh, the pain inside every defeat, the mauling you get from the media. Yeah. Um, you know, that's seasoned many people inside our environment, the, um, you know, the never ending pursuit of, of aiming for the next level. And probably the last thing that I'm most proud of is that I'm, Still wearing XL, which was the clothing size (laughs) that I had when I started back in 2000.
No, no dickheads allowed. That phrase is quoted a bit in connection with your philosophy. What does it mean? Because sport, as we know, is full of prima donnas. How do you rein in egos without reining in that talent they come into a team with, Gilbert? Yeah, nice, um, you know, good good question, actually, because it took us a while to, you know, to come to that realisation. But at the centre of all of this is that no one is bigger than the team. How do we rein in egos? Uh, we, we've got to be smart about getting them to buy into something bigger than themselves. And uh, that becomes really important. Uh, you use the tribe to uphold the standards. You know, the, the whole notion is that that's forged inside the All Blacks is that you, you don't have to create miracles out there. Um, you don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to be a great of the game. You just have to be great for the team. And when people understand that, then ego um, does not have a place to take root in a in a structure like that. Almost an opposite. I mean, from the outside, an opposite kind of approach is another one of yours, though. You'll never, ever advance above the opinion you have of yourself. So you've got to have a high opinion of yourself at the same time. Have you seen people struggle with this and overcome it? Can you explain that a bit more? You know, one of one of the things from my own life's journey, um, and because of my time in, in the orphanage and spending um, time there, is that I, you know, I thought I was the rest. Of the, I was the world was made up of normal people and me, so uh, that I was damaged goods. So um, my opinion of myself was very, very low. So. I had to wrestle with that understand per, understanding personally in terms of wasn't until I broke through that ceiling and understood that my past did not have to determine, determine my future that I began to make headway. And so um, you'll see as you journey through life, and I have through the all-black environment, you get a lot of people who are trapped in that mindset where they feel that they can only perform at a certain level or that certain things are only available to them because of the way in which they're their past has shaped them. So things that have helped people overcome it, um, once you understand that vulnerable is the new strong, um, and especially for males, asking for help, getting others to identify blind spots, helps you break through those ceilings. Uh, growing self-awareness, I think that's important. Just you know, looking at yourself and being a good detective and asking yourself is what I'm doing helping me or hindering me that can give you an awareness that helps you break through that um, and I guess it's I've learned that it's hard to manage your mind with your mind so sometimes when your mind isn't where it needs to be you've got to use your body to shift your brain so you know getting involved in physical actions and movement that can get you unstuck from those times where your own opinion actually becomes a shackle rather than freeing you to explore um, different parts of your potential. We're getting lots of interesting advice already, which is great, and I'm sure there's more to come. And I want to mention your childhood again later. Is it true that when you were brought into the team in the year 2000, Wayne Smith had to pretend you were hanging around doing something else? Yeah. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, you know, Wayne Smith is... Just a remarkable man. He's, you know, we met through chance when I was at Hillmorton High School as a teacher, and um, when we started having conversations about high performance, 
and about sport and actually succeeding, we created a union which has evolved into a lifelong friendship that's become a brotherhood. And initially, he was way ahead of his time, but we had a um, a sort of a governance body and you had people in positions of power that hadn't caught up to this new reality. And so they were still trapped in the old paradigm that you've either got it or you haven't. Coaches that needed assistance with it um, shouldn't be in the position and players who couldn't do it shouldn't either. But Wayne knew that we, uh, just like any other skill, needs to be developed. So he put me into the team as a masseuse. So I ended up going with Canterbury um, in the early days just so that people on the board um, could say that, no, he wasn't working in the mental skills or sports psych area he was working in the physical area and they had a lot of acceptance so uh, there was some it's a humorous reflection it is now uh but in those old days you know when your true purpose was being concealed didn't wayne smith send you out to buy some oil can you tell us that story yes um it's a bit of an embarrassing story to be fair jim um (laughs) You know, so we, we went into our um, undercover, or I went into my undercover and the role, and so one of the board members was coming to the um, into the team, so he wanted to make sure that I could be seen um, doing my job. So he, I, he sent me out there to get some oil. So I went out and, and actually bought some oil so that I could actually do some massaging on, on the guy's quads and so forth when these people came in, but what I've actually done is actually bought cooking oil. So, and he always openly says that I didn't want you to fry them. I wanted you to, to help them. And <laughs> I, I must admit at the time, it, I, I did feel it was a bit rough on the skin, especially for those with hairy legs. <laughs> it wasn't until after that I got a real ribbing about what I'd done. It is a funny story. <laughs> what happened within the All Blacks after that horror of 2007? We obviously went to France, um, you know, with a team that was in pretty good shape. Um, we had a sense of entitlement, actually. We thought we were going to, you know, go all the way without actually having to do the work. My area was exposed. Um, you know, we choked, and that was the area I was responsible for. So I had to look at myself and um, had to admit say that I needed support in my area to enable ourselves to develop the skill sets that can enable the All Blacks to actually front um, the challenges that they get in pressure moments like that. So players took a hammering, and to this day, many of them um, remember it. But because of the actions that occurred from that, it became a springboard um, into the future. And I think that had a big part of us winning the next two Rugby World Cups. Yeah, I've never forgotten watching that game. So leaning into pressure on a rugby field, Gilbert, or anywhere else, how do you do it? Well, I think back in 2007, Jim, we, we didn't want to experience pressure. You know, we the mindset was so totally different. We thought that we want to play in a way so that we don't go into pressure. And if you don't go into pressure, it just means that you're going to be in control all the time. And And one of our learnings that came out of our reflections from 07 was is that if you don't have any pressure you don't get any performance and if you don't get any performance you don't get any outcome and so the mindset completely flipped on its head so we now had the mindset that we wanted pressure reframing pressure as the opportunity to achieve something great you know you never achieve anything great 
militia, isn't it? Um, pressure zone. You, you develop a, a skill set that enables you to to crystallise in those pressure moments rather than crack. We get told about the great lessons of failure. If you don't win, you don't lose, you learn and so on. I mean, a lot of people get destroyed by failure. They can't come back from it. Uh, I mean, in a way, it's easier in a team, especially with someone like you around, to come back rather than being alone. So is leaning into pressure possible for all of us? I, I think so. Um, you know, pressure's like water. It, it, it'll always find the crack. Uh, in a team, it is easier because you've got people to lean on. Um, you know, failure is part of the dance. So, you know, we've learned that um, you uh, you might lose the um, the battle, but don't lose the lesson and, and take those forward with you. Uh, there are some specific skills and tools you can use. So having someone in the area of mental skills helps. Um, you know, the environment you're in really, really helps. The leaders you have really, really helps. And, and all of those combined enable people to navigate um, those moments that inevitably will occur inside um, teams aspiring for greatness. Gilbert Hanoka is our guest this morning, leaving the All Blacks after 23 acclaimed years with them. So I'm a taxi driver or a software developer or a plumber or a teacher or a librarian or whatever. You talk about pushing ourselves into areas of discomfort. That's one thing you recommend in your philosophy. How do we do that in areas of life which aren't as spectacular as sport? I've found comfort ages you. If you're in a job that you feel comfortable in, um, it's hard at times to stay really motivated and driven to to achieve. Uh, and I've learned that everyone needs a next level. So no matter what you're doing, um, you know you can ask yourself the question of, you know, um, you know what's a word or a phrase that would describe where I'm at in my role and all my job right now. And then the second question is, what does next level look like? And we've learned. Um, that unless there's a gap between where you are now and what your next level looks like, that um, you can, um, you know, procrastinate and you can not experience the the, the thrills and the gains that you possibly can. And um, we don't want people to have a credit card gap, you know, so it's so small that they 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 just really drift through things. Um, your next level must have must make you feel uncomfortable and. Um, when your next level was at, uh, in a position like that, it will always um, involve you becoming a better version of yourself. So um, no matter what your endeavour or your job is, if you have an aspiration and you look at it through that way, then you begin to take control of your own destiny and your own satisfaction inside your work environments and in your pursuit of, of things that you want to achieve and, and things you want to develop. So um, it is possible um, to... For everybody to um, to to do this, and I strongly recommend it. What does the next level look like? Yeah, that's a really arresting phrase, a way of describing it. But run one reason why people burn out is that they're always on, they're always trying these days. Um, we're shown what far more what other people are capable of, and we feel stressed to get there ourselves isn't there a virtue in simply turning up to work and doing a relaxed sort of job you know why should it be where you're at isn't good enough 
Yeah, look, it's um, and yeah, you, you can't go to work and be so. Uh, this is kind of almost contradictory to what I've said. You know, you you can't go into your work and you're aspiring to achieve um, that level, that next level all the time because you know there'll be a period where you can pull yourself out of the um, out of the picture frame and have a look at the big picture for you, and then you sort of you can identify where your next level is and and beautiful and what your current reality is and then what you've got to move to get there. But then when you go about doing your, your daily activity, it's it's important that um, you're not pushing yourself hard that you get into burnout, you know. Mm. I kind of like the phrase that, you know, um, we're taught all our lives to, if you want to be great, that you've got to be at your best every day, all day. Well, my work in sports taught me that you don't. You know, you, you just have to be at your best when your best is needed. Um, I always tell people, uh, you know, you set your next level, but understand there's only three bones in your body that you need to help you get there. All you need is a wishbone, so you've got to dream big and and know what your next level is. You need a backbone because that um, you're going to get obstacles because if you haven't set a next level and you're not getting any obstacles, well, you haven't set it at a level and you need to. And the third one's most important is is and having fun. You know, so you've got to have belly laughs. And in the All Blacks, we set up structures in the week um, that enable people to switch off and have really good belly laughs. So we really feed that fun aspect. And if you go about your job and you've got to be at your best many, many times in a day, then you've got a structure issue. We need you to look at what you're doing. We need you to pull it apart a little bit so you have periods in it where you can just be with the people in your group um, and you can have some fun, but you're still moving um, forward in the direction to bridge that gap that you've actually created in your aspiration. Wishbone, backbone, funny bone. Yeah, no simpler <laughs> than that. No. And you've got to make sure that you're not growing a wishbone where you should be growing a backbone. <laughs> That's great. What was the greatest rugby game that you were ever involved in after you came on board with the ABs? Can you think of one? When I started with Wayne Smith in the year 2000, the ABs versus Australia in Sydney, 110,000 people. We're out to 24-0, you know, and then they came back, often described as one of the best games of rugby ever played. 2011-2015 Rugby World Cups are in there. Yeah. Um, 2022 in Alice Park last year. Um, when everyone was written off, we lost to Ireland, we lost the first tenths to the Springboks, and then we fronted up at the fortress that was Ellis Park, and the boys did the business. And um, 2023 Ireland at the World Cup, um, you know, where no one really thought the All Blacks would go past the, the uh, quarterfinal, but the performance put in by the men on that day, I, I just thought was terrific. And... Um, it's kind of interesting uh, when you look at those five test matches or those five matches, they cover some key men that I have a great deal of respect for. So you've got Smithy in 2000, you've got Ted in 11, you've got um, Steve in 2015, and then you've got Ian um, in 22-23. So covers sort of a wide gamut of people as well. So as you say, the Irish last year then staring defeat in the face in South Africa. What did you say to the team? What was the remedy that saw the ABs win 
that last game there and save Ian Foster's job? It wasn't so much about what what I said. It was more, you know, the environments like that are, are led and managed uh, by the leaders. Um, but there was one particular thing. Um, I got re- I received a, a text from Brad Thorne, All Black number 1035, and he sent a text to me and it said, let them know that despite the noise, many are with them, including me. This is what we're about, the expectations, the pressure, the black jersey. Lean towards it, embrace the challenge. This is what we do. This is what we've always done. No backward step. Everything we've got, how good. So fast forward, we ended up sort of utilising that quite a lot. But what it taught us, Jim, is that when people get under adversity and they get are going through difficult times, the language we use in the way in which we communicate to them is very important. Like if I'm going through adversity, don't say to me, take care. Don't say to me, keep your chin up. Don't say to me, keep smiling. Say to me, embrace the challenge. You know, um, lean into it. No backward sp- step. Everything you got, I'm with you. And and I think, you know, once we shifted the mindset into that space, all of a sudden it lifted us up rather than became become a burden. And I think there's wisdom in that for um, listeners and people who are communicating to others that may be going through adversity, you know, check what works and what, what feeds them and what lifts them and, and what does the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, that is very interesting. You enjoyed working with Ian Foster, obviously. How did he handle the chorus of scorn and criticism? Oh, look, he's a tough bugger. Um <laughs> You know, he's, you know, I admired him greatly. Uh, when we went to war together and, you know, the All Blacks under Ian probably had the most difficult period in the history to navigate because of COVID and all those things and, and the disruption that occurred there. Um, things happening inside the mothership at, in Wellington certainly didn't help as well. But, boy, did he front and did he lead. Um, the fact that the, you know, the players in Ellis Park, the leaders including his own here from Canterbury, all stood up and said he's the man that they wanted to lead them into the Rugby World Cup in 2023 and spoke volumes. You know, he's authentic, he's genuine, and he really cares. Um, And he was vulnerable too. You know, when he had the challenges, he was open with the players and and others about that. And, And what you got was just a consistent man that was driven to honour the legacy and do the best um, for the jersey while he was at the helm. Well, he always said that, didn't he? Why do you think good coaches, for example, like Dave Rennie, fail with teams? In his case, a 38% win record with Australia, I think, but everybody knew he was a great coach. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And you see you see that across the landscape, landscape quite a bit. Um it's quite interesting. On one of my um, recent visits to the UK, when I went over and spent a little bit of time with Chelsea, I, 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 and Frank Lampard was in the helm at that particular time. And when he became a manager, he said he went to see um, Alex Ferguson, and he said, "What do I need to do to be a good manager?" And and Alex Ferguson said to him, three things you need. One is recruitment, which really is selection. Two is sleep." And three is media. 
And it was kind of interesting that he selected those three things. So yeah. I think um, does um, does Dave and others in that similar ilk have the cattle? Um, you know, you probably can argue to a degree there was a there was a sense of um, uh, you know a sense of talent in those groups. But I think what you can't underestimate is the is is the class of the talent here in this country and the role of the aspiration that people have to to become an All Black, to get inside that environment, and and then for these coaches to come in and and, and try and do that with a with a different group of men um, or women who have come through a different cultural um, set, I think is challenging. So I think there's a number of factors that impact in that, and so you've got your talent, you've got the cultural history, and then you've got the paradigm from which the coach is, is bringing. But Dave will head to Japan. He'll be great. Others will be great. Someone will come in and take over Australia, whether it's an Australian or a New Zealander. But um, you, you, we need them to be strong, so we want those coaches to be able to help them succeed. Why do teams respond, do you think, for a while to coaches like Eddie Jones and Michael Checker and then, in Eddie Jones's case anyway, it stops working so well? When people come in, uh, it's fresh and it's new, um, there's a lot of dialogue around um, the history and what people have achieved. Um, um, there's both those men that you mentioned have, you know, are interesting characters. Met them both, um, but I, I guess I, I, I kind of like um, the, the coaches that I've seen um, perform and last and and achieve the greatest um, success have three things that are really common. One is they know who they are and they've spent time doing that, they be who they are, so they're not trying to be someone else and there's no inconsistency in the expression of that talent, and they stay being who they are. And I think when sometimes people can come in and they are different and they can use bravado and um, players see everything, they see through anything that's false, they, um, they'll detect frauds in a heartbeat, and um, if you're not who you are and you're not consistent in being that, then all of a sudden they, they, they'll chew you up and spit you out in a heartbeat. <laughs> I read an interview in which you said Richie McCaw became a leader. He wasn't born one. How did he become one of our most illustrious captains? Well, I think at the heart of that is probably the 2007 Rugby World Cup failure. Um you know, he came into the All Blacks. He had, he was blessed with this awesome talent. Um, you know, he's got gifts that um, you know that no one else has been given. And then um, he went through two thousand and seven, which was really a baptism of fire um, for a young captain. Um, you know, with the nation's expectations fully on it, and then coming up short. And then what he committed to do after that point was to make sure that going forward he'd leave no stone unturned and what it took to to prepare the team. And you know, he was with us in 2023. He was part of a legacy group that we put together and he's even um, he's even developed two or three levels further than what he was when he was the captain. And so I think I, I kind of... There's no silver bullet or, or magic solution here. Uh, the mahi is... Uh, you know, the magic's in the work. And um, he was a hard worker, a smart worker, and he mined um, all the areas that could add to him becoming a great leader. And as history has proven, 
he certainly has become that. He did. And as the All Blacks enter a new era, is the golden age over? Oh, I don't think so. Um, I met with Razor on Wednesday this week and we sat and chatted um, through several different things about the legacy. And, you know, he's been an All Black, um, which is fantastic. And so he knows the culture and, and the expectation. Gilbert Anoka is with us. Just a few more things to talk with him about. So your childhood was tough. You were saved by the state, in a way, the money they paid teachers to train, and you became a very good teacher. Where would you be today, if not for that, do you think? Oh, I don't really want to go there, to be fair, Jim. Leaving home and just knowing I had to get out of there just to, you know, take some control over what I was doing. Um, You know, heading to Christchurch at the age of 16 was very young um, to pursue what I was doing, and... You know, I started playing volleyball because that, um, you know, I you know, I think everyone is given some talent and I was given something in sport. So I started playing that and people started saying you, I was good at it. So I wanted to hear that again. So I put more time and energy into that. Mm. Um, and in a way, sport saved me, I think. I think having the, the state, like they don't have studentships like they do now, like they did then now. So that, that, um, avenue wouldn't have been open to me so that would have involved a different path um you know i'm a great believer that fate takes you to different places no one told me to get up and leave palmerston north i just said i needed to so i did and um i walked into um into that staff room and there was wayne smith i never knew it was going to be him i think everyone gets luck in life you get good luck and you get bad luck uh, but what's most important is the return on luck that you get and so, uh, and I think you get more return on bad luck than you do good luck if you if you mine it properly. So, um, I don't need to go down and look at what I've what could have happened because I know what did happen, and I embrace that and um, and use that as a springboard to launch into into the next chapter. Gee, you've accumulated a lot of wisdom. What what is the best piece of advice, Gilbert, you ever received and implemented? Maybe it was from yourself. I don't know. Oh, no, definitely not for myself. It would be around the notion that, um, you know, in, in, in the land of high performance and even in the land of living, if you want to get better, structure is king. Um, a lot of people think mindset is king, but I don't think it is because unless you have a, you quite often need a good structure to shift your mindset. And it's the structures you have um, in your daily life that enable you to move forward, you know, and, um I, I've quite often asked people, um, you know, if, if you were to list what your three strengths were, three major strengths, you know, even if you did it, Jim, um, I don't think many people would um, probably list discipline as a strength. And yet I've found in my work and the advice that I've had that um, once you understand that discipline is a superpower and, and well embraced, then combined with structure, with structure and discipline, those two things can get you through anything in life. And if you think about all the tough times that you've had in life, um, you'll find that it's the structure and the discipline you've had to stay within that structure and to do what was required has helped you navigate your way through to the next point where you can have a degree of control that can even move you further forward. Yeah, I think that is really interesting, that. 
and discipline is elusive for so many people. I mean, everybody's got a, most people listening will have a decent degree of it, but you're talking about a kind of, uh, not a fail-safe sort of discipline, but a different level of discipline too, aren't you? Yeah, and, and it's the, it's to do what you need to do when you need to do it at the level that's required to do it. Um, and, and, you know, like if you're, and, and it's, it's simple, but, you know, it's one of those things that's, um, it's easy to understand, but difficult, more difficult to implement. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, just getting up and doing your daily exercise and, and adding different things into your, into your structure. If you can accumulate those day after day in a disciplined way, then you move yourself forward. And, um, you know, for, it's, and it's not something that comes easy to people and, but, if you understand it, embrace it, and can can adhere to it, um, it it'll, it'll no matter how difficult the time is that you're actually going through, um, you know that that's those two things, structure and discipline, will enable you to navigate it. Might won't take away all the pain um, at times, but it can change it from being a nine out of ten to a six or seven out of ten. You need to charge us for this chat. Um, <laughs> it's been really illustrative of, of your whole approach to things. What will you do now? It's a big challenge when a part of who you are ends. So um, I want to acknowledge that and ensure I have a structure that um, can help me navigate my way through that. Um, I I love speaking because I love imparting knowledge to people can help their lives of I've made a commitment to football in the UK, so I'll spend some time with Chelsea, um, and I'm, I've committed to writing a book. So I'm in the throngs of having conversations with people in and around that. And probably the number one priority through all that is I've got a grandchild, another one coming on their way, and 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 I want to enjoy that period and and, and value the time that I have with 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 my grandson and the one to come. And you'll miss the ferment, the excitement, the adrenaline. Yeah, parts of it I'll miss and parts of it I won't. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty pleased with where we've left the jersey. That was one a big motivation of mine. I'm just being a custodian and a guardian of it. I'm happy to hand over that to Razor and his crew in the state that we've left it and for them to pick it up and, and continue their journey of enhancing it. Yeah, great attitude to change over. Triumph, you know, Kipling said triumph and disaster, both imposters. That is actually true, do you think? Character is the real measure of someone's success in life. I know you talk about character. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's huge, isn't it? There's a lot of adages and a lot of sayings around, um, around character, you know, that sport reveals character. Um, and, you know, I do know that you know, it's provided a great opportunity to develop it and nourish it. Nothing has pleased me more than hearing a player look me in the eye and look others in the eye in the environment and say, I came into this environment as a boy and it's helped me become a man. The three statements around know you, be you and stay you really, really become the foundation rocks of a solid character that can carry any load and take you to any destination and can inspire people for generations to come. Excellent talking to you, Gilbert. All the best with your time ahead. Exciting times, it sounds like, and thank you for giving us your time today. Most welcome. Thank you, Jim.